0: Pastor Kathy said earlier, I'm Pastor Laura, another one of the associate pastors here at Orchard Hill, and I have the privilege of digging into the Word with you this morning. If you are just joining us and you haven't been around for a while, we are spending two months digging into the Sermon on the Mount. Those are Matthew chapters 5 through 7, where Jesus sits his followers and his disciples down, and he says, this is what it looks like to live as my disciple. This is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. He sets it up, it's remarkably different than the kingdoms of the world, the broken and sinful places that we live. And Jesus says there is hope and there is something far better and there is a far higher standard for those of us that are seeking to follow Jesus. And so this morning I wanna invite you to hear the word of the Lord that we will be focusing on this morning from Matthew 6, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be, um, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in f- full. But when you give to the needy, do not
1: Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your Father will not forgive your sins. When you
2: fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces, so they show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal, but do store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, so too will be your heart, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will despise one and devote yourself to the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these.
0: If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you to our friends who have been memorizing and reciting the Sermon on the Mount. It is not an easy task, so we appreciate hearing the scripture in that way. But I do want to invite you to open your own Bibles, whether it's the ones in your pews or the ones you've brought with you, and follow along this morning. Don't just take my word for it. Look at God's word for yourself. Um, So if you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles, at least you can turn to page 1503 and track with us this morning. The very beginning of this chapter kicks off with this saying, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Jesus is starting off with an assumption. Remember we, if you've been with us, we've talked about the fact that this whole Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5-7, through is an address to his followers, to people who want to live in the ways of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is assuming that people who are living in such way are living out these acts of righteousness. He's not commanding them to pray, he's not commanding them to give, and he's not commanding them to fast. You will not find those words in these sections. He's assuming that if they are living and following the ways of the kingdom of God, these things will be naturally pouring out of their lives, natural parts of their rhythm that connect them to God. So we start with the assumption that Jesus is talking to people who want to follow in the ways of the Lord. Now we're talking about the words, acts of righteousness. And before we dive in to anything else today, friends, I want to reassure us, and remind us of something. And that something is the cross of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ alone. Because any time we get to the word act or do in our sinful human nature, we get into the temptation that we can earn our salvation, that we can earn God's pleasure, that we have done something that turns his eye upon us and says, yes. Well done, you did it. You are good enough now. Now you can come be part of my kingdom. And brothers and sisters, the cross says the opposite of that. The cross reminds us that at the baseline of this chapter, when it says don't do your acts of righteousness for mankind, there is no act of righteousness we can do that would get us anywhere with God, outside of first being covered in Christ's righteousness. And the only way we get there is through the cross of Jesus Christ and faith in him. So baseline, the first place we are starting today, is we are starting knowing we have done nothing to earn salvation. We can do nothing to earn salvation. And the only reason we even have an inclination to have these acts of righteousness, prayer and fasting and giving pour out of our lives is because we have first been transformed by Jesus Christ and his saving power. Know that today, friends. Have peace in the fact that you don't need to do anything to earn salvation. It is simply by faith that we get there until we start from this point of these acts of righteousness coming out of a life saved by faith through grace alone in Jesus Christ. That is where we begin today. So Jesus is teaching about spiritual principles here, about how to fast, how to give, not commanding us to do that. Jesus is not saying anything new to his audience here. Anyone that was around Jesus, anyone that was around the Jewish culture of the day knew that these were practices that righteous people did, that people who were seeking to follow the Lord did. This is not new news. (laughs) Jesus has already told us new things within the Sermon on the Mount. He's flipped things upside down, given us new perspectives but fasting, giving, praying, are not new. And they're probably not new for most of us this morning. But what is new, what is new that Jesus is trying to teach us today is the attitude that we are to have behind the giving and the praying and the fasting. Jesus is calling them to look different than the people that they are surrounded by in the world. People who so often say they are living for an audience of God alone. I do these acts of righteousness. I'm giving, I'm praying and fasting because I love the Lord. And out of that love, that's what's pouring out of me. But the reality of what we see is so many people in Jesus' day are doing it for their own glorification. Saying, look at me. Look at what I'm doing for God. Look at how special I am. Look at how holy I am. And that's the standard that Jesus is calling his people away from. That's the new the new teaching inside this this chapter today, not to just check the boxes and do these things, not to do them for the glory of mankind, but to do them for Christ alone. Which begs a question for us, brothers and sisters, who is the audience that we are living for? Who is the audience that you are living for? If Jesus calls us to live for an audience of God alone, is that the audience you're living for, or is it something else? Because from a really young age, I think we are primed to live for an audience. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. And we, Hey, yeah, thanks, Becca. And why are we good for Santa? What are we promised? Presents, toys, right? From a young age, we are primed that an audience is watching us. And the, what that audience says of us, how they evaluate us, is going to determine what rewards we receive. When I was young, I was not always the most ladylike child. <laughs> I, was, I was a bit of a dork. Um, and I remember being told multiple times, Laura, how are you ever going to find a man who can put up with these actions of yours? <laughs> Praise God that he has brought a wonderful man into my life <laughs> who loves me for just who I am. But even as a joke, we're priming our young ladies to think you have to act a certain way you have to live a certain way for this audience of men in order to have the reward of this ideal man who's going to love you. And adults, you're not, you're not um, prone. You're prone to this as well, brothers and sisters. You have to climb the corporate ladder. You have to succeed in your job. First of all, flock, you need to know what you want to do and you need to find that dream job. One of the most stressful things we're told in our lives. And once you find it, you have to keep the boss happy. Because only then can you be promoted, can you climb, can your check grow and grow and grow until you can get the nicer car, the nicer house, the better phone, the better vacations for your family, and then you'll be happy. All of us live with an audience called social media. It kinda sucks. (laughs) We are presented with this idea that there is always someone watching. And I have seen adult after adult spend time and energy staging photos to make their lives look happy, thinking of the best captions and the most hilarious things that they can say to get the next like, to get the next comment, to feel like someone is watching, to feel like they matter, they are worth something. We are groomed to believe that there is always an audience watching. And so the sad thing is, without realizing it, we have often become like TV actors who walk around trying to live to please our audience so the ratings can go up and those rewards can come our way. If you are honest with yourself in your heart, I wonder who the audience that you're living for is today. Is it God alone? Or are you living to please someone else? Apparently there were a lot of people in Jesus' day that were were saying that. This is, I'm living for God alone, look at me. And yet there they stood. They stood on the street corners in front of men, praying as loudly and eloquently on and on as they could. They blasted trumpets on their way in to give their offering. (laughs) They fasted. And they made themselves look as starved as they could possibly be. They say, I'm seeking God's approval. And instead, they look to the world to see their acts of righteousness. These people proclaim to live godly lives, yet instead sought the approval of people. And Jesus spends the first half of chapter 6 saying, Don't do this! Warning, brothers and sisters! This is going to be a temptation, but do not go the way of these people. Look with me at verse 5. Chapter 6 verse 5. Why does it say these people do what they do? Verse 5. The hypocrites love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to To what? To be seen by men. Verse 2, they do it to, anybody? Verse 2, to be honored by men. They do it to be seen by men. They do it to be honored by men. And what does verse 16 tell us? Why are they fasting? To show, to show men how righteous and how pure and how special they are in the Lord. I don't know about you, but the phrases to be seen by men, to show men, and to honor men are a little scary. And Jesus is warning, saying, don't be like this. This is not the heart of what we do. These people's motivation is wicked and evil and self-serving, and that is not what life looks like in my kingdom. Yes, they've checked the boxes. Brothers and sisters, they have prayed until their knees turned black and blue. They have given, and they have given, and they have fasted, but none of it has been out of a heart for love for the Lord. It has all been out of self-glorification. And what is the word that Jesus uses to describe these people? Hypocrites. Every section, giving, praying, fasting. In fact, the only word that Jesus uses for these people is hypocrite. We don't get names. We don't even get a title like Pharisee. We just hear hypocrite. Do you know what the word hypocrite means? The Greek word? It's from the word hypocrites, meaning actor, actor. Jesus is looking at these people going, faker. You look good to the world. You spend your 30 minutes a day in your devotional. People see you pray. People see you plop your stuff in the offering plate on Sunday morning, or you be sure to tell them you give online. You tell people about your fast. Maybe for Lent you gave this up, I'm so hungry. But your heart is far from the Lord. Jesus says you're, you're just like an actor. You have a mask on, you're playing one character, but underneath, you're all about yourself. These words should sober us. These are frightening words if Jesus is calling you an actor. And Jesus says about them in each section, he says, I tell you the truth, these actors, these hypocrites, these people that live for self-glorification have received their reward in full. Have received their reward in full. And who was that reward from, brothers and sisters? It's okay, you can... Men, yes, men! The the reward is not from God. The reward is from man. Our Heavenly Father's rewards put all rewards from men to shame. A short-lived round of applause, a look of admiration, Those things pass away too quickly, but the rewards that God offers are eternal and good. These hypocrites have shortchanged themselves for a small glimpse of personal glory. Jesus is flipping the coin on its head. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This is totally revolutionary. Jesus is calling his disciples to say, who cares to what the world thinks and to run hard after the cross of Jesus Christ and to live for an audience of one, to please God alone. That is his call. And thanks be to God for that, brothers and sisters, because it is so easy to run after pleasing the world. It is so easy to go after looking to something else to be pleased with you other than God. And the grace-filled, amazing truth is that we don't have to waste our lives chasing down anything but God's approval, God's love. And he has already given you his righteousness in Christ. So there is no need to run hard after anything else. These words are not new for us today. I pray to God these words are not new for us today. So why are we talking about it? Why are we spending time reminding ourselves that we live for an audience of one, for God alone? Because between me and the cross is a whole line of people in my life that want me to live a certain way, that I desire to please, that maybe you can relate with. Maybe the first line you have to get through is your significant other. You want to please them. They're probably, Lord willing, your favorite person in this world. You want to make them happy. So you are tempted to please them with the way you live your lives. And maybe next for you is your employer. They have expectations of you. They control your paycheck, which affects a lot of your life. You are tempted to make them happy and to live the way they would ask you to live, even if it's a little morally icky now and then. Maybe it's your coach who wants you to dedicate every moment of every day, including Sunday mornings, to your games, tournaments, practices. This is your life. And this is what it's about if you want to be on first string, if you want to play travel ball, if your kid ever wants to have a real shot. And so you compromise and put their expectations first. Maybe it's your professor. Someone expects you to think and act and write a certain way. Maybe it's your friend group. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's even your parents that have expectations for you that may be good expectations but are not the way to glorify God alone. Brothers and sisters, none of these people are bad. And maybe even their expectations for you aren't bad in and of themselves. But when they call us to live a way that isn't to please the audience of God alone, when they call us to take our eyes off of the cross of Jesus Christ and to look at them instead, we have already lost our way. That is why we remind ourselves this morning, because those wonderful people are ever standing in our line between us and the cross. So like horses with blinders on, we look ahead. Like the author says, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we run hard after him and live to please him alone. Because the truth is, Just like they said this morning, you can't serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You may love your coach, and yes, you should honor your coach. Yes, you should honor your spouse. Yes, you should honor your professors, your family members. You better honor your parents but as soon as they become where your eyes are fixed, brothers and sisters, as soon as they become the audience you are trying to please, we have failed. And we veer off the course that Christ has for us. Let's read verse 24 together. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Take out money. You cannot serve both God and what? You don't need to say it out loud, but I want you to name it in your head. What is that thing, that person, that expectation that you are tempted to serve. Because a lot of us read this and we go, money, whatever, I don't have enough of that to serve it. (laughs) Or we go, that's not a problem for me, that's not an issue I have. Forget money. What is it in your life? Because it's something. I know it's something because I know Satan is active in this world against God's people. We all have something we could fill in the blank with there. You cannot serve both God and what? I don't know what that is for you. But that is the thing that Satan is going to constantly put between you and the cross. He's going to constantly put, and he's going to say, please this. Do your good deeds to please this person. Live your life to please this expectation. Seek after this. And if we don't remind ourselves, we lose our sight on the cross and on Jesus. And we start serving another master. And no matter how good our parents are, no matter how good that person, that expectation is that you are trying to please, eventually, because of sin, they will divert you from pleasing Jesus Christ. It may not be right away, but it will happen. Now you may say, okay, Pastor Laura, I get it, whatever, yeah. Please, Jesus, we're all on the same page here. We're all Christians. But you don't understand what I'm up against. You have never met my boss. You don't know how tight money is for my family right now. Yes, maybe he has asked me to do something maybe a little ethically icky, but at the end of the day, I can live with that if we have a roof over our heads and my kids have food on the table. You may say, Pastor Laura, you don't understand. My parents have been gone for a long time. I have no family, I have no friends. The significant other is all I have left. And if they are gone, I will be completely alone. So yes, they may have expectations of me that may not fall in line with God's expectations, but I'm going to live to please them because at least I have something. I don't know what it is for you. But brothers and sisters, if that's you today and if that voice of Satan is going, but you don't understand, it's just a small thing. I'm still living to please Christ. There's just a small thing I have to do in order to be taken care of, in order so my family can be taken care of. I just have to please this one person. God's not going to mind. It's not going to throw us off course. It's going to be okay. That is the voice of Satan speaking to you today, brothers and sisters. And that is not what God has for you because you don't understand. Our God who went to the cross who bore our very bodies, took on human nature, knows exactly what you're going through. He understands. Don't sit here and say, but you don't understand. He bore every temptation you did. He went through every trial you did. He knows. He who created you, oh man, understands what you need. So when we talk this morning about living to please God alone, about not running after people's pleasure, about not living to serve anyone but God, this isn't a teaching about how to pray. It's not a teaching about how you should fast. It's not a teaching about how you should give. It's a reminder that your choice is between trusting Jesus to provide and letting him be enough or living for the things of this world. He's not telling you to pray, give, and fast. He expects that of his followers and brothers and sisters. We know it's easy to check that box. It's easy to say, I prayed before my meal. I prayed before bed. I gave my $5 this week. Fasting, we can, we'll we talk about that another day. But The heart of this is Jesus saying, do it for me, trusting me to provide you with what you need. That's is the heart of what we're getting at today. Do you trust Jesus? Because if you don't, you're going to run after pleasing every single person that comes between you and the cross. Every step you take, you're going to be stopped by someone else's expectations, by a desire to serve another master, because you think that's what's going to get you where you need to go. Until you can fully trust Jesus, to fix your eyes on him and to let go of everything else, to know he is going to take care of your needs, you will be stopped every step of the way. Brothers and sisters, do you trust Jesus today? He promises to take care of you. Every single section under praying, giving, and fasting. He reassures us, your heavenly Father, who sees what is done in secret, Will what? What will he do, brothers and sisters? He'll reward you. you. Your heavenly father knows what you're doing. He knows what's expected of you at work. He knows the pressure your parents are putting on you to follow a certain career path. He knows what your significant other wants from you. He knows what the coach is asking of you and how passionate you are about the game. But he is saying, trust me. Because I see you, child, I see the struggle, I see the temptation to give in and to serve another master, but I am going to provide. Not just provide, I'm going to reward you. Brothers and sisters, that's what Jesus is asking you today. Do you trust me to do what I say I will do? Our Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And God is so good because he doesn't end it there. He goes on to say, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. He's not just going to reward you. He's going to work all of that out. When you trust Jesus, when you seek his kingdom first, when you are doing these righteous deeds for him alone and you are living out a righteous life, God takes care of the rest. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Do you believe that today, brothers and sisters? Somehow we find ourselves back here all the time. We are what, Orchard Hill? What kind of people are we? We're butt people, right? So every time some faces are like, what? That's how I know we have new guests. We are butt people at Orchard Hill. We live into that phrase, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. That is what the Lord is calling. He's calling you to do what David did. When he said, David, I will put your descendants on the throne forever, and from your line, I will bring the Messiah. David didn't see that, but he trusted God that it was coming. When he said, Abraham, out of you, I am going to make a great nation. Abraham didn't see that, especially when God asked him to offer up Isaac for sacrifice, but he trusted in God to provide anyway. When he said, Noah, a flood is coming, and I will spare you and your family alone. Build an ark. Noah was like, well, we have a lot of thoughts about what Noah was like, but he trusted God anyway to provide, and he lived to please God alone. Peter, Paul, John, the list could go on and on of the ways that we have seen in God's word. People be asked to do crazy things, to live to please God alone, in the spite of everything in the world telling them that it's nuts. They said, I trust you, God. And what did the Lord do? He provided. He rewarded and he provided time and time again. Can you trust the Lord this morning, brothers and sisters? I want to give you a challenge. As you go into your week this week, I want to challenge you, yes, to pray, to give, and to fast. Those are beautiful acts of righteousness that those of us who know the Lord do out of love for Jesus. But I want to challenge you one step beyond that. When you go to do anything, anything at all, this week, whether it's sitting down at your desk to work, or making a meal for your family, or putting your cleats on before practice, or going on a date, whether it's your first date or you've been married for a long time and you really need a date night, I want to encourage you to ask one question. Who am I doing this for? Am I doing this to please the Lord, or am I serving some other master? And if your answer is anything but to please Jesus, take a moment. Stop what you're doing and pray. And ask the Lord to make himself greater in your life. Ask the Lord to give you trust that he will provide. Ask the Lord to deepen your love for him so you are living to please him and him alone. And that kind of life produces two things. A beautiful testimony to the world that Jesus Christ is enough and he rewards his faithful servants. But also, it produces a life free of worry. That's where that last part ties in. Do not worry about tomorrow what you will eat or drink or what you will wear for someone that trusts in the Lord and has seen his faithfulness come through over and over again, knows that he's going to provide. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus and live to serve him alone, he will be more than enough. Take that challenge with you this week as you seek to please Christ and him alone.